Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. We're so glad you're here. Why don't you look around and just identify someone and say, so glad you're here. Just maybe the person right next to you, just say, man, I'm just really glad you're here today. Just really glad that you're here today. Really glad that you're here today. So glad that you're here this morning. Um, we're going to be heading over to 1 Samuel chapter 17 in just a second. And um, today we're going to wrap up um, this message series that's been entitled uh, Taking on Your Goliath. Um, it's been one of my favorite series that, that I've ever done. Uh, learned, I've learned so much in just diving into 1 Samuel chapter 17 and looking at this, this, this famous story about David and Goliath. The truth is, it's probably misnamed, and we'll explain that when we get to the end of the service today. It's probably been misnamed, but nonetheless, we know it as the great historical story, great Bible story of David and Goliath. And I've just learned so much in 1 Samuel 17, just revisiting this story slowing everything down, looking at it verse by verse by verse. I hope that you have too, and I know a lot of you might have missed some of the messages around spring break, uh, but you can go to our YouTube channel, and you can find all the messages uh, in this series. And we've talked about the nature of your Goliath. We've talked about the challenge that your Goliath brings. We've talked about the unlikely hero, the unlikely hero of you. Uh, we talked about the uh, spiritual aspect of this battle that we're in. Uh, we talked about the reality of you, of who you are in Christ, of who you can be in Christ to, to take on your Goliath. And today we're going to wrap this up. And today we're going to talk about the Goliath rules. The Goliath rules. The secret to take down your Goliath. What you need today in order to take on your biggest challenge, your biggest obstacle in your life, and to see that challenge fall. Before we get there, I'm going to invite Cheyenne to come up because we got some things that we just need to share with you today uh, from our hearts. Uh, this is also Palm Sunday. This is the day where Christ came into Jerusalem, uh, began the Passion Week events that are going to happen this week. And I would encourage you, if you want to follow in the footsteps of Christ this week, go to Mark's Gospel, start reading around chapter 11, and just follow the days this week with Christ, all the way to Maundy Thursday, which we're going to come together. Actually, we're coming together Wednesday night. We're having class here Wednesday night. Our regular classes, our meal. And then Thursday night, we're going to come together for an extremely special worship time and time of communion. And we are, we are going to be, like literally, we're going to try to place ourselves in the feet or in the shoes or the sandals, rather, the sandals of those early disciples and to experience and to sense and to feel and to be thinking about everything that they thought on that Thursday, and there's a, a tremendous heaviness, and there's an uncertainty, and so we, we want to capture that this Thursday night at 7 p.m. Please come, bring your friends. Uh, Wednesday night, I'm doing an in-depth teaching on the footsteps of Messiah right out there for Wednesday night. It's just going to lay the, the background for everything that's happening this week, and then let's get our hearts ready for, for really the greatest celebration of the church, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ next Sunday. And 
We are going to kick off next Sunday a new schedule in our ministry. Uh, we will have two services next Sunday morning for all our friends and family who want to come and worship for Easter. The first one's going to be at 9.15. The second one's going to be at 10.40. And so around the place today, even at the Visitor Center, before you leave, please grab one of these uh, Easter invite cards. Get these to your family and friends yesterday. I was even at a gas station yesterday in Murray and ran into one of my cousins and said, hey, listen, I would love for you to come worship with us on Easter. She said, you know what? I have been planning on doing that. I'm going to bring mom with me uh, for Easter Sunday. She watches you online a lot, but we're, we're going to be there. And so you're going to have opportunities all week long to invite people and bring them to First Missionary next Sunday morning. And uh, it's just going to be awesome. It's going to be a tremendous time. We're also kicking off a new schedule uh, for our, our, our church with two services. And so I brought Cheyenne up real quick. And I want to share with you a little bit of, of his heart and our heart uh, about what we can expect moving forward. And, and Cheyenne, to get us going on this this morning, just talk a little bit about the 80% principle when it comes to growth and, and kind of when you, when you start to fill up and, and what you need from Sunday school or connect class perspective and worship, share with us real quick about why we would even look at doing what we're doing, okay? Uh, statistically, strategically, uh, when you're on average about 80% full, uh, it's time to start thinking about providing new areas to allow your church family to continue to expand and grow. And so our church, ever since we moved here, we've been averaging, bumping that number 80%, 90%. Some, some Sundays it seemed really full, and so uh, this is part of that. We want to make room uh, for our friends and family, and, but we also want to create new opportunities for small groups to occur uh, on Sunday mornings throughout the week. And so uh, what we're doing with two services, that provides an opportunity for two Sunday school hours, and even we have some Sunday school groups going to meet early at the 8 o'clock hour. And so this provides not only more classes, but it provides uh, new opportunities for you to connect. And, of course, with new classes comes a need for new teachers. And that's exciting. To, uh, we're looking and praying for uh, God to raise up, because we know there's several of you here that are gifted teachers, and we need you. And so we're looking forward to new classes and the opportunities to dig into God's Word together in small groups. Yeah, I asked Cheyenne just this past week, I said, since we've been here in November, how many new faces have we seen that we actually have documented of new faces, new, new people that God's brought our way? And I said, I'm, I'm going to say about 100, and Cheyenne said it's probably about 150, over 150 new families, I mean new faces and people that we've seen uh, come to our ministry since November, and what we want to do is we just want to broaden the base. We just want the root system to go down deeper, and so we've got to have room uh, for folks to, to attend Sunday school, connect classes, and like Cheyenne said, even right now on Sunday morning, if we started a new class, we don't have anywhere to put the new class. We've, we've already maxed out all of our rooms, and so by classes moving, maybe some move into an early hour, that opens up another class by having the 10, uh, uh, 1040 Sunday school class time. Classes can meet there. And so this is going to give us the opportunity to, to put our roots down deeper and to broaden the base so that, that we can continue to reach the people and be good stewards of the, the faces and the families God's bringing our way. Real quick, about the main Sunday school time for kiddos and children. I know a lot of people wonder about that. And by the way, we're starting a brand new ministry today. Today, a new ministry or expanding the ministry in our church. Yes. Today, we've kicked off Kids Sprout Worship. And that's a new ministry for children. We've been doing something for preschool. Now we're offering something for our kindergarten through third grade. So every Sunday, we will have something at 9.15 Sunday school hour for all of our children youth, adult classes, we're awful. also during the 1040 Sunday School Hour, we're offering uh, classes for kids, fourth and fifth grade for middle school and youth, but also kids sprout worship. And so that is an exciting opportunity. We have a lot of new faces involved, a lot of new teachers, and it's going to be a kids worship experience. And the goal 
what was our what was our vision for that? Um, Misty Green has provided some excellent leadership, and our goal is planting children in faith. So excited about that. So we'll continue. 915 will be a regular Sunday school hour for youth, children of all ages. 1040 is kids sprout worship. They'll continue preschool and we'll have sprout worship for kids kindergarten to third grade. Yeah, and as time goes on, we will look at adding uh, classes for uh, children and youth at the other times as we're able to raise up leaders and as we grow and as we need to. So we're excited about those opportunities. And here's something else, I'll just real quick. Say, I know in the past, like maybe uh, your kids been involved in, in, in sports and that kind of thing, and you might have had a game, you know, at Mike Miller Park at 1145. And in the past, you know, you wouldn't be able to come to church, you know, at 10, uh, 10.30 or whichever. And, and so it put a strain on your family to, to, to church and to, and to make your kids activity. Well, now offering uh, the earlier sun, uh, worship hour, uh, you know, you can come on to church. Come, come in your, your ball clothes. We don't care. You know, we just want you to be here, to be a part of the church family. And then you can go on and, and make your game later that afternoon and do what you need to do. So we know that this creates opportunity for families as well. I love that flexibility. I love that flexibility. And with the summer months, vacation time coming, we want to also throw out something to be aware of. There may be what we're kind of terming a thinness factor. And so as we transition to two services, multiple Sunday school hours this summer with family months, you know, vacation, sports, activities, it may seem like attendance kind of thins here and there. It may seem like small group attendance is thinned. But I want to just encourage our church family. Uh, it's so wonderful to have the opportunity, the flexibility to come to worship, knowing that both worship services will be the same. And then you can also choose and uh, worship with your family and then choose a time where you can get in small groups. And along with that, we're also going to have that gives us ability to serve one and attend one. So, Brother Alan, would you kind of explain uh, the idea behind that? Yeah, serve one, attend one. Y'all just say that with me real quick. Just serve one, attend one. Serve one, attend one. The idea there is that God has called us to serve. And so when you think about the two services, we want everyone to feel like these are, these are our services. And so maybe when you get out of worship at one, maybe you go to class or hang out in the gathering area and fellowship with people, stick around. Stick around when the other one starts. Serve as a greeter. Serve in hospitality. Uh, say hello to people and make sure things are going okay. And you might see somebody that's a friend of yours that comes and you might say, man, I want to I make sure that that person feels welcome before you jet on out and slip out. So serve one, attend one is something that's really important for us as a whole to understand. God didn't just call us to come and to attend a worship service. He's also called us to serve and to use our spiritual gifts. So that's something you're going to be hearing a lot of. Serve one, attend one. Serve one, attend one, serve one, attend one. So much more could be said and shared, but here's the thing ultimately, okay? Ultimately, we want the name of Jesus exalted, no matter what we do. We want God to be glorified. We want him to be made known. And I'm asking you to please join with us in prayer. Preparing our hearts for next weekend. Preparing our hearts. I thank you so much, Cheyenne. Preparing our hearts for what is to come. That God would be glorified in all that we do. That Jesus would be exalted among us. Because we believe with all of our hearts. The only real chance that anyone has of life change. Is to come face to face. Face to face with Christ. And apart from knowing Christ. People are lost. They have no hope. So ultimately, in all of this, might God be glorified, might he be exalted in every single thing that we do. And if we don't do it for that motivation and that purpose, we're just wasting our time. So let's just pray right now before we get into the message this morning. And just ask God to, to move in our midst today. Please take these Easter invite cards that you can get at the Welcome Center, invite people this week. Let's get rid of those this week and get them out and in our community. But let's just pray right now and pray for an outpouring of the Spirit to move to work in our hearts and our lives and to do what He needs to do in us that we'll reach out to others. Father, Lord, as we come to this time, 
we just yield our spirit to you. Father, we desire to be led by your spirit. We know that we're only empowered by your spirit. And Father, we know that unless your spirit does the work and does the ministry, nothing will be accomplished for any eternal value or good. So Lord God, we pray that you're preparing our hearts even now for this week, for next weekend. Put in our path, put in our path, God, the people, the friends, the family, co-workers, our neighbors, who need a fresh start. Father, use us to encourage them to come and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And Father, we're asking and praying that as people come even next week, that our ministry will touch their hearts and you'll touch their hearts in such a way, God, that, that they will want to come back and will need to come back because this is a place for them to belong. I pray, God, that your spirit would go out from our, our midst. That, Father, all people, no matter their background, no matter their skin color, no matter where they are in society or what they do, what they have done, what they're hoping to do, that, Father, all people are welcome in the body of Christ. And use us to send that message. No expectations. Come as you are. And let Jesus change your life. So Father we're asking for your favor. To continue to move. Over our people. And our community. And Lord. We're trusting you. To do great things. We love you Lord. We give you this time. We ask all of this and pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Have you ever heard of the Jordan rules? Who plays basketball? You ever heard of the Jordan rules? You guys in middle school. Have you ever heard of the Jordan rules? Raise your hand if you ever heard of the Jordan rules. 1988-1989-1990, in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Detroit Pistons, the bad boys, the Detroit Pistons, found themselves facing the Chicago Bulls. And I believe it was around the 1989 Eastern Conference Final that Chicago took a two two game to one lead over the Detroit Pistons. And this was during a time period where the Pistons were dominating and the Chicago Bulls were really starting to reach their peak. Chicago went up in 89, two games to one, I believe. And after that game, when they took that lead, Joe Dumars, it is told that Joe Dumars... And Isaiah Thomas stayed up till 2 a.m. in the morning trying to figure out how in the world can we stop our Goliath. The Detroit Pistons had a Goliath. And my goodness, would he ever begin to reign and to conquer and make his name known and great. Their Goliath in that series, in their life, in the next year, would be none other than the great Michael Jordan. Joe Dumars and Isaiah Thomas stayed up till 2 a.m., it is told, and they called Chuck Daly about 2 in the morning, and they said, Coach, we think we have finally figured out how to stop, or at least try to contain, Michael Jordan. They came up with what has been known as the Jordan Rules. Other teams adopted the Jordan Rules and, and found some success with the Jordan Rules. The Detroit Pistons in that particular series would go on and win that series after they implemented the Jordan Rules. 
Now, they were dealing with Michael Jordan. So, you know, after the Jordan rules were implemented, you know, he comes back. He comes back stronger. He comes back more intense. Eventually, the Chicago Bulls will be the great dynasty that they became in the early 90s. But for that particular series and many of the games and series that followed, the Jordan rules became the secret for taking down or slowing down or defeating Michael Jordan. It kind of went something like this, that they wanted to force Michael Jordan to go to the middle, especially with his left hand. They also said that on certain areas of the court, they would always send a double team at him, but depending on which side he was on, it wouldn't look the same. The other thing they said was, if he ever gets by you, you nail him. You let him know that you are there physically. Do not be afraid of him. You take him down. If, he, if there's ever a ball screen, he comes off a ball screen, then you do the same thing. You nail him. Don't let him get a free look at the basket. They also said this. They said, and when he's playing defense, when he's playing defense, we'll run our offense through the guy he's guarding. We're going to make him work twice as hard on defense. In that particular series, they implemented the Jordan rules. And the Detroit Pistons won that series, and I believe they went on and won the finals that year and ended up being back-to-back champions. The Jordan rules were known as the secret to taking down Michael Jordan. Do you think, do you think there is a secret to us taking down our Goliath? You see, your Goliath is the greatest obstacle or challenge that you have in your life. Now, we know that Goliaths may change in our lives. But the things that we learn about our Goliaths and our big challenges and problems that we have in our lives is that they can be relentless, just like Goliath was in, in, in the text here that we're even looking at today. The Goliaths can be relentless. Your Goliath does not take a day off, but taunts you, comes at you, is always there nagging at you challenging you. And we learn in this series that the word Goliath, the name Goliath does not mean, does not mean to reveal or to unveil. But it means, I'm sorry, it does not mean to be great or to be a giant, but the name Goliath means to unveil or to reveal. And so here's what our Goliaths do. Our Goliaths reveal our weaknesses. They're, they're the areas of our lives where we're, we're, we're vulnerable. And here's the thing. Your enemy, your spiritual enemy, knows where you're weak. He knows the buttons to push. If you're taking notes today, you'll find a place on the back of your bulletin. You can follow along and jot these things down. But your enemy knows the weaknesses of your life. And so what he does is he unveils those. He reveals those. You know, I've said that what I have identified in my life is so many times my challenge, my Goliath, hits me, hits me in an area that maybe I have not submitted to the Lordship of Christ yet in my life. And my enemy knows that. But our Goliaths don't take days off. So I want you to imagine with me your Goliath falling, okay? I want you to imagine your Goliath falling. I want you to imagine a time in your life where you are absolutely free from the taunts of this Goliath. Because you see, once the power is taken away from the Goliath, then the Goliath is no longer Goliath of your life. And your Goliath is not the same as everybody else's Goliath. Yours is unique and different. But I want you to imagine with me, I want you to imagine your Goliath falling and you once and for all being free from the taunts and the intimidations and the antagonism of your Goliath, what would that day be like? Imagine standing on top of your Goliath in victory and decisively cutting its head off once and for all in your life. 
If that were to happen, what would be the secret for you having the power to see that in your life? Is there, are there, Goliath rules? And I believe there are. And it may not be what any of us would expect. And we find it in 1 Samuel chapter 17 as we come to the end of this great story and this great event. I want us to pick up today in, in verse 48. Because all of this is coming after a point where, where David has stood up and David has said, I will take him on. I'll take on the Goliath, this uncircumcised Philistine who taunts the armies of the living God. I will take him on. Saul says, gosh, who are you? You're but a youth. You don't have experience in infantry, hand-to-hand combat. Who are you? I'll give you my armor. David puts on the armor of Saul. It's cumbersome. He can't wear the armor. He hasn't tested it. He says, I don't need your armor. He uses what he already has. What God had given him in the past to defeat the lion and the bear. That's that's what he had in his arsenal. And the very same things that, that God through him had used in the past to defeat other Goliaths. The same things that David has confidence in going into this particular battle one on one with the Goliath. Just a sling. Five smooth stones. Very dense stones as they would be. And you could imagine that a slinger slinging a sling at six to seven revolutions per second could deliver a rock up to almost 120 feet per second. It's like standing in front of a major league baseball pitcher and taking a fastball at 100 miles an hour right in your head. Some scholars have likened the hit that Goliath would receive with a lot being hit or shot with a 45 caliber pistol. Goliath, I'm sorry, David takes his sling, the five smooth stones. He's ready. And one thing we learned this last Sunday is so important. And you can imagine how everybody talked about Goliath and everybody talked about how big he was and how bad he was. I mean, the press, the media, everybody's writing about how big Goliath is. Nobody can take on the Goliath. He's the champion from Gath. I mean, he's huge. He's, he's, he's tremendous. He's Goliath. Everybody's talking about Goliath, but then David does something that nobody else would do. Instead of talking about the problem, he started talking to his problem. When he started talking to Goliath and and started talking back to his problem, that means that he is facing it square up. He is taking it head on. He's taking on Goliath. He speaks back to the problem. He's not talking about the problem. He's speaking to the problem. And he's pronouncing victory. Long before Goliath ever falls flat on his face. David is so confident. But the question is, where was his confidence? What did his confidence lie in? And we pick up in verse 48. He's already talked back. He's spoken to the Goliath. And nobody else had been talking to the problem. They'd only been talking about the problem. And then I love how verse 48 starts. Y'all ready? This is awesome stuff. Verse 48 starts like this. Y'all say that with me. Then it happened. Man, I would just want to stop right there for just a second. Man, then it happened. I mean, you know what it is, right? It happened. Then it happened. It's that moment, that decisive moment when David decides, I am coming at Goliath. It's that moment when he says, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of seeing everybody else run. I'm tired of seeing fear being evoked by this Goliath. It is time the the Goliath comes down. Then it happened. Let's just do that one more time, just because it's fun to say. Then it happened. It happened. When the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, notice what happens next, that David ran. Where is he running? What is he running to? David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He's just not talking to his problem, but he's running at his problem. 
taking it head on. With just a sling, five smooth stones, Goliath wants an infantry hand-to-hand combat. David is getting ready to get out his sling, whip it around a few times, and with one decisive blow, everybody realizes that Goliath is not as big and as bad of a dude as everybody thought he was. And isn't it just like the enemy to lead us to think that our Goliath is so great and it's so big, we'll never, ever see victory. He put his hand into his bag, took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead. Did you know that the Romans developed a special implement for removing stones from people's bodies because slingers in army and in warfare could deliver decisive blows up in such a force that the stone would literally embed itself into the person. Struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead so he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. There's an emphasis in the text about what David does not have. He does not have a spear. He does not have a javelin. He does not have a sword. He does not have those pieces of warfare that you would think he might need to take on Goliath because he's going to take on Goliath in a very different way. Slinger, not infantry. So many times we think that the the, the way that we're going to defeat our Goliath is, is coming at our Goliath in the same way that our Goliath comes after us. But there is a wisdom an ingenuity, a cleverness, a power, and a strength that comes outside of all that conventional thinking. David was a youth, a young guy. He was small. I mean, when you think about everything that he had, he was too small. He didn't have experience in infantry. All he had was a sling and a stone, but the reality is David was at an advantage. And you see this advantage being played out. But there was. There was no sword in his hand. So you know what David did? You know what David did? David ran and stood over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Let me back up. David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him. And cut off his head with it. David had called him the uncircumcised Philistine because to be uncircumcised meant to not be owned by God, but to be antagonistic toward God. Goliath had his own gods, his false gods of Dagon and Baal and other false gods. But David stands over this great Philistine. He draws out his sword and he cuts his head off in that moment Goliath got owned. He got owned. And he got marked. And I want you to notice something. In this section of Scripture, notice, watch this. How many times, starting with verse 48, the emphasis is on David. It says in verse 48 that David ran. Verse 49, David put his hand into his bag. Verse 50, David prevailed. David struck. David ran and David stood. Every single one of these verses speaks of an action that David did. And this is why many people call this story the story of David and Goliath. But I'm telling you today, the secret to taking down Goliath was not found in David. In the sense of what he brought personally to the battle. But it was found in David in the sense of what was in his heart. And it was the God he served. It was the God he served. This story should not be called David and Goliath. The story should be called God 
and Goliath. Because in the verses leading up to this battle, David said in verse 46, he said, the Lord will deliver to the Philistine you into my hands. He was saying in verse 47, the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he said to the Philistine, he will give you into our hands. David's confidence was never in himself, although the text looks at and speaks to the actions of David. David's confidence was always in the Lord. And here's the secret. Are you ready? Here's the secret to killing your Goliath. The secret to taking on your Goliath. It has to do with not the power of how or the power of what. But it's the power of why. Why did David fight Goliath to begin with? Some people would refer back further into the text and they would identify the places in the text where Everybody was saying, you know what? Whoever takes down this Philistine, the king's going to make him a rich man. The king is going to give him his daughter. And the king is going to make his family free in Israel. Many people would say, though that would be the motive. David was looking at what he was going to get out of this. And his why was himself. And isn't, doesn't it stand to reason that for many of us, when it comes to taking on our Goliath, that we think about what we would get out of it? Yeah, I'd like to have a peace of mind. I'd like to not be filled with fear. I would, I would like to not have to deal with anxiety. I want to be free. I don't want to have to hear these taunts. And, and, and then when I think I'm free from hearing the taunts, the taunts come back. Or I get a phone call, or I see a name, or something pops up, and my Goliath is right back in my face all over again. Yeah, I would love to personally be free from my Goliath. But David's motivation was not for what David would get out of it. He reveals his motivation at the end of verse 46. Now I want you to watch this because I believe this is the Goliath rule. This is the secret. And maybe until this rule is implemented in your life, this might be the reason why you haven't found freedom yet. We're going to read verse 46 in its entirety. This day the Lord, David speaking to the great Philistine, listen to his confidence. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. I will strike you down and remove your head from you. I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. But here it is. That all the earth may know that there is a God. Specifically, David said, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David's secret for taking down Goliath was he was not anticipating a win or the glory he would get out of it. But he was anticipating a win for the glory that God would get out of it. David's heart and the scripture in the New Testament, I love this in the book of Acts. I love this in the book of Acts about the heart of David. And I may not have given this to the guys upstairs, but listen to this. The New Testament writer, speaking of David, said, 
that after Saul had been removed as king, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. David's heart was to honor God. His heart was to glorify God. He wanted to see Goliath go down so that when the battle was over, nobody would be talking about David, but everybody would be talking about God. Perhaps until we want God to receive more glory in our lives than any freedom or joy or peace that we would receive from seeing the great Goliath going down, maybe it's until we desire God's glory more than anything else, maybe that might be the point in time that we can take on Goliath and see Goliath actually fall. For what God gets out of it. I want you to think for a second about maybe what you're going through, what you're dealing with your, your life. Look alive, it's coming against you. When is the last time, please tell me, when is the last time you said, okay, God, you, okay, God, yes, I want to be free. Yes, God, please deliver me. Yes, God, take this away. But when did you pray and you say, God, whatever happens in this situation or in this circumstance, God, I want the name of Jesus to be exalted above my name. So that when Goliath does fall, People will be praising Jesus for the glory of Jesus' name. How many times in this does David talk about, I'm coming at Goliath in the name of the Lord? How many times does he say, the Lord will deliver me? Not by sword or spear. The battle is the Lord's. He comes at him in the name of the Lord. It is about God. And it's not about David. And please, 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 this is huge in my life. Don't take your Goliath so personal. Don't take it so personal. Your enemy hates your God more than your enemy hates you. And as long as you're weak and as long as you're defeated, your God's not made known. Your God's not glorified. But you think it's about you. It's not about you. This battle is not about you. There's more at stake than your life. Or anything that you'll get out of it. What's at stake is the honor and the glory of the Lord. And what people will say about him. So please don't take it so personal. I can remember a time in my life. Coming to that realization. This isn't just about me. It's not my reputation. It's not my honor. That's on the line here. It's not my glory. It's his. And when you take your Goliath and you put it in God's realm, that's when you can step back and say, okay, let's go. With the power of God in my life and with the glory of God at stake, let's go. We can do this. The power of why. Why did he take on Goliath? Not what or how, but why? Because he wanted to see everyone know that there is a God. And I'm telling you, it's like a domino effect. When the Philistines in verse 51 saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley into the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay all along the way to Sharaim, even to Gath and Ekron. These were other cities throughout the Shephelah. People are empowered now. They're emboldened now. The great Goliath has fallen. And the people of God says, yes, we can go. We can take them on. 
And they're empowered by the actions of God through one man. And then, in the last part of this, the sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David, oh my gosh, can you imagine how bloody this was? I mean, he's taken the now circumcised Philistine into Jerusalem. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his weapons in his tent. Because the enemy got on. And now, this is really important before we go. Last thing. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, kind of backtracking within the story, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, 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 whose boy is that? Whose son is that? Whose son is this young man? Abner said, by your life, O king, I do not know. The king said, you inquire whose son the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? Why? Because David's family would become free in Israel. They would no longer have to pay taxes. So Saul wanted to know, who's your daddy so your family can be free? And I want you to know, I want you to know, the whole world is looking at our lives and they want to know, who's your daddy? Whose son are you? Whose child are you? And by God's grace and for God's glory, if any Goliath falls in our life, might we stand up and say, we are children of the living God. We are children of the God Most High. I am a child of God. He has set me apart. He has called me holy, righteous, and blameless. I am His. I'm His beloved. He's made me unleavened. He's made me pure. He's cleansed my life. He's forgiven me. He is my great King. He is the one I fall down and worship. He's the one who makes me all that I am and ever hope to be. All glory and honor goes to the God of my life because only He can take down any Goliath of my life. I live to praise Him. I live to worship Him. I live to adore Him. Whose son is this? And might the redeemed say so. That we'll defeat the enemy by the power of our testimony. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Who is your father? And that's what the world wants to know. What are you made of? Who do you serve? Who do you worship? The key, the Goliath rule. The Goliath rules is doing what you do for the glory of God. And when it shifts from being about you to being about Him, that's probably going to be when you'll find freedom. So that's why we prayed what we prayed to begin the service today. I do not, I do not want people to ever see us or anything that we have and be impressed with us. We want them to be impressed with our God. We want them to fall in love with Him and say how great is their God. How great is their God? And by the way, hopefully people will be like, man, I want to know that God. I want to know that God. I need that God in my life. Because don't you know, can't you imagine all the other Goliaths that are out there that are just kicking people's tails every day? I mean, if you had the cure to cancer, think you might let somebody in on it? And we know the one who's risen from the dead. 
and can give new life and hope. When it's about Him, it's probably going to start looking a whole lot different for you. It's not about you. It's not about me. huge is that not huge it's huge that is bigger than Goliath so today as you stand with us Today, I, I don't know what needs to click in your heart or what needs to change. I just trust in right now that the Holy Spirit is moving and working in your life. And the Spirit's trying to help you to get your eyes off yourself and your eyes on Him. And that's how great stories are told and written. That will outlive your life. Because it certainly outlived David's life. And he was far from perfect. But he was a man after God's heart. So might we leave here today seeking to be people, uh, people after God's heart. To follow his will. To be passionate about the things he's passionate for. Father, we just give you our hearts today, Lord. and We just ask that you'd be glorified here in our midst and our lives, Lord. And help us to walk freely, knowing that the battle is yours and it's about you. We just give it to you now, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.